we began this, this series uh, over the last couple weeks um, called Finding Your Way Back to God, and uh, really a lot of it is connected to this book by, by John uh, Ferguson and, and uh, Dave called Finding Your Way Back to God. We added a, a much better picture than what they had on the book, and uh, just some great pieces in here that we're, we're walking through three weeks of, of maybe some movement for us that would lead us back to God. Now, I want to start with this, and we've said this every week, that, that usually God is closer than we think he is. I mean, oftentimes we feel there's this, this tremendous distance between us and God. I mean, if you're like me, you, you sometimes set this idea that, that the gap between me and God is like the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's just so overwhelming. And the truth is, God is usually closer than you think he is. God's usually closer than you think he is. And, and that's good news, like that there is not this huge, tremendous gap that you have to make up. Um, I, I was kind of thinking through some, some songs recently, and this, there's this theologian, and her name is Katy Perry, and uh, she, she has these lyrics, I wish I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't dive in, I wouldn't bow down, gravity hurts, you made it so sweet till I woke up on the concrete. Like, that's a good lyric, isn't it? And isn't it true? Like, that, that I wish I knew back then what I've learned today. How many of you have ever, sa ever said something like that in your life? Yes. Yeah. I, I wish I knew back then what I know today. The story of scripture from the beginning to the end is the story of God giving life to anybody who wants to find life in him. Um, life is this interesting thing. And in the Bible, there are different words that we translate into life. We, we talk about this all the time, that there's a little bit of a, a gap for us in the English language of what some of the uh, the, the true words and the, and the intent, there's a little bit of a gap. And so when you read your Bible, there's a word when it pops up life, when it says life, there are a couple different meanings to that word. And I was thinking in life, um, we have some things that, that happen to us. Uh, 225,000 hours we sleep on average. Throughout your life, you're going to sleep 225,000 hours. So there's no need to sleep right now. You've got plenty of time to sleep to sleep later. Um, 72,000 meals on average you'll eat in your lifetime. So choose wisely where you eat, right? Yeah, 72,000 meals, uh, 200,000 times you'll go to the bathroom. You, I mean, you just have to. It's just part of life. When, when Jesus talks about life, this is not the life he's talking about. I mean, this is like chronos. This is chronological life. If, if you draw a, a, a timeline of your life, that timeline is, is, is that kind of life. And then Jesus comes along and he says this, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. But, but this word life is very different than the other kind of life, the chronos life. Th this is like... Uh, life, life. I don't know how to define it other than it's life, life. It's like a fulfilling life. It's like life to the full. It, it's, it's something beyond what day in and day out provides. Are you with me? And that is the search that we're on. See, because if you find God, you find life. If, if God comes into the picture, everything changes for us. I mean, finding God means that we're going to find life. 
And we're talking about these little turning points uh, along the journey. And and turning points change everything for us. There there are turning points in life. If you drew that timeline and you marked little places throughout, I mean, those turning points, they change everything. Seventeen years ago, today, I had a turning point in my life. It was Easter Sunday, and Robin woke up, and she said, I think something's going on in my my body. She was uh, pregnant, and um, she called the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, it's probably a false alarm, and he hung up on her, and she's like, ah, just a very passionate doctor there, and (laughs) it was Easter. He had things to do, and, and then... Uh, so she called him back, and he was like, fine, go in. And then she hung up. He hung up on her, and uh, we were like, go in, like go into the doctor. And so we got dressed for, for Sunday, Easter. You know, we got dressed up and went to the doctor thinking it was a false alarm, but there was a turning point that happened when our oldest son was born on Easter Sunday 17 years ago today. It was a turning point. When you have your first child, it's a turning point, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, don't clap for me, clap for her. She did all the work that day. I assure, yes, I assure you of that. Turning points change everything. So let's get back to the prodigal son. Uh, Luke 15, which you mentioned. Luke chapter 15 is this succession of three stories where uh, Jesus is talking about lost things and, and how important it is to, to find the lost things. So the prodigal son, a uh, man has two sons, and uh, the youngest son says to the father, now don't forget there are two sons in this story, but the, the younger son says to the father, I want my money, I want my inheritance now. The father divides up his property, gives it to him. And uh, little nuances in the text that we miss, for, for, for him to divide up his property and for the younger son to turn it into money, he had to sell something. He had to sell the land, which just would have been embarrassing to the father. So the young son sells the land, takes the money, runs off, goes and lives a crazy life. I think it says he had a riotous good time. I don't know what that means, but it sounds awesome. He had a riotous good time. And then he ran out of money. It was gone. He, He thought that this is where life was found. Hits bottom, there's a famine in the land. He connects himself with somebody who lived in that land. He finds himself feeding the pigs, which for Jews, it was the lowest of the low. Like no, there wasn't anything worse than than having to work with with the pigs. And so he's working with the pigs. And then he comes to his senses. There's this phrase, he comes to his senses. And last week, we, we camped on this phrase. Do you remember last week when we talked about uh, this, this idea of when you hit rock bottom, when you come to your senses. And the prayer that we had last week was, help me come to my senses. I hope some of you prayed that throughout the week. Uh, the story continues. He comes to his senses and he kind of thinks about his father and what's happening back in, in the distant land. And he's thinking about, oh, if I could just make it back, then I, I could be a hired hand. They're treated so much better. So he says, I'll get up and I'll go back. Now, this next verse is the one that, that I want to camp on today. Um, it says that he actually got up and returned home. So go on, go on to the next verse. Uh, yeah, he got up and returned to his father. Now, if you, if you have a Bible with you and you have it open or if you have your... Um, 
your, your app open, like circle this phrase, underline this phrase, write it on the top that he got up and returned home. He did something. Now, what the text doesn't give us here is the amount of time from the point at which he came to his senses to when he got up and returned home. And sometimes that in-between space can feel like an eternity, can it? The, 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 the moment at which we go, oh, what am I doing? To the point at which we have the strength to do something about it. You know what I'm talking about? The gap, the in-between. But it took this, this moment of doing something that led him to find life again with the Father. He got up and returned home again. Um, have you ever felt like you were stuck in life? Like there was no future? There was no hope for you? Have you ever felt at some level that there, that, that you, there was so much shame that you couldn't admit that you came to your senses? And I'm going to be transparent, and I'm going to invite some of the men in the room to be transparent with me. Have you ever realized that your pride was what was keeping you from returning home? Have you, have you, ever, have you ever felt... And, and maybe you didn't do anything about it, but have you ever felt like this is, this is just my pride keeping me from going back? I mean, we get stuck in these moments. We get stuck. Uh, I, I talk a lot. I know some of you get tired of this. Some of you, maybe you come for this. I talk about the 12 steps and uh, you think, is Sunday morning like a 12-step journey? Um, sometimes it is. Um, this, there's, there's a point in the 12 steps that says this. Um, it says that we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to God. Now, catch that. We made a decision to turn our, both our wills and our lives, what we do, over to God. I mean, there, that's a significant, significant moment to, to come to this place where we, where we turn our wills, and our lives over to God. Uh, the word in, in, in Scripture, the word that Jesus uses is the word repent. We've talked about this a couple times. You remember this, this word repent? And repent is an interesting word in our, in our language and, and with all the context that we've, we've, we've kind of put around it. Um, repent to us usually means, or we think it means, to say you're sorry. Like, I am, I'm sorry for what I've done. But the scriptural understanding of repenting is so much deeper. It's this like turning around. It's, it's a change of direction and a change of mind, both. A change of mind, not just I'm, I'm, not just I'm sorry, but that there's a change of direction. I'm going a different direction with my life. It's, it's both and. Repenting isn't just I'm, I'm sorry, that wasn't a good thing to do. It is, repenting is... I, I realize the pain I've caused and I will do whatever I can not to do that again. There's a, there's a story um, Brennan, Manning, Brennan Manning tells in um, the Ragamuffin Gospel. And he's in a, he's in a treatment 
uh, inpatient treatment facility. And there's a guy there named Max. And Max is one of those who's in, in treatment, but he doesn't think he's got it that bad. Which we all can relate with that, right? Like, there's always someone worse than me. And so the, they're in a group session, and uh, Manning tells a story that the counselor kind of goes after Max. He's like, Max, how many, how many drinks do you have every day? And Max is like, not many. He's like, no, no, give, give me a number. I need a number. He's like, I don't know, a couple, maybe a couple drinks a day. No big deal. So the counselor picks up the phone and calls the local tavern where Max lives and says, hey, we're in a group session and I have permission to do this. Just wondering, you know, do you know Max? And he's like, Max is awesome. He's here every day. He buys drinks for so many different people. Can you tell me about how many drinks he has every day? Oh, a lot. I don't have a number for you. And Max at that point um, starts questioning the ethical character of both the counselor and the man who's answering the questions, of course. And so the counselor finally hangs up the phone and Max is like, it's not that bad. The counselor then looks at him and says, tell me about your kids. He said, oh, I'm, I'm glad you asked. I've got two kids who have graduated from, from Ivy League schools. And he said, have you ever done anything to hurt your kids? I'm sure I've done something. I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe something in my past. The counselor picks up the phone and calls his wife hey, we're in this counseling session. I have permission to ask you some questions. Just wondering, has, has Max ever done anything to hurt the kids? A quiet voice on the line. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was Christmas Eve. And Max took our daughter to get her what she wanted for Christmas. And she was so excited. He took her, he bought the gift. As he was coming back, he felt good about what he had done and he stopped at the local tavern. It was pretty cold that day. He turned off the car, he told his daughter he was just going in for a minute, that he would be right back out. He went in, one drink turned to two drinks, turned to three drinks, turned to four. Came out of the tavern at midnight, having forgot that the daughter was in the car. They had to amputate some of her fingers because of the frostbite. At which point the counselor hung up the phone and he told Max to leave. And he said, this is, this is a, a treatment facility for alcoholics, not liars. And you need, to, you need to get out because you're lying. Max, Brendan Manning, I mean, he paints the picture so much better than I ever could. Max fell to the ground begging the counselor not to send him away. And Brennan said over the next few weeks, he saw character transformation like he had never seen. Well, what was it? It was being honest and repenting, owning up, feeling it, and being willing to take another path in life. That, that's, that's repentance. And that's what this young brother does. He, he returns home again. Um, the prodigal son's story continues. The son gets home. You guys know the story. He, the dad throws the huge party. You remember this? If, and if you missed it last week, you can go back and catch it on YouTube, but throws the huge party. And then who comes home? Who, who returns? 
the older brother. There's an older brother in the story. Don't forget, there's always two, you know, so the older brother comes home, and as he gets close, he hears music and dancing. And he calls one of the servants, and he said, what's going on back there? Your brother has returned home. Your brother's returned. And your dad put a ring on his finger and a, and a coat, clothes, and sandals on his feet, and he killed the fattened calf, and we are having a party. To which the older brother was furious because he doesn't, what's, what would, he doesn't, what's that word? Um, he doesn't deserve, that's a good word, he doesn't deserve it. What do you mean he's throwing a party? That guy, doesn't, he doesn't deserve it. He deserted us, right? But what does the father do? The father leaves the party and comes to the older son. Like he leaves the house and comes to the older son and begs him to come in. And this is a moment at which the older brother has an opportunity to also repent, to return home. And many of us, Come on. Those of us who grew up in the church, we, we look at the younger brother and we celebrate. Oh, it's awesome when our younger brothers come home. I mean, they got to pay for what they did, but it's awesome when they come home. And there's, con there's consequences to that, but it's awesome when they come home. Come on home. You are welcome here. But for so many of us, we believe that we've earned our standing with God because we've been good children. Come on. We need Jesus just as much as the younger brother. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many older brothers are in the room today? How many older sisters are in the room? Like we need Jesus just as much as the younger brother who ran. And the good news that Jesus tells in this story is that everyone is welcome home, regardless. Everyone's welcome home if you want to go there, if you want to go there. Um, proximity does not equate to relationship. See, the older brother is home the whole time, but proximity does not equate to relationship. If you're married, you know this to be true, don't you? You'll get that later. <laughs> that there are moments in your marriage where you might be in proximity, you might be close to someone, but you are miles apart. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The same was true spiritually for the older brother. See, it's true that God is not as far as you think he is. God is not as far as we often think he is, but proximity does not equal a relationship. A relationship is a, is a conscious decision to turn around, to turn back home. Okay, a couple turning point statements um, that I think are moments, and, and maybe this will help. If you hit one of these moments, maybe you, you, you've, You've hit a moment where it's time to head home. Here, here's one. I'm not sure I can do this on my own. Like, you hit something in life, and it's like, I, I don't know that I can do this all alone. Um, could be a thousand different things. You're in high school. Make some decisions. You're pregnant. And you hit this realization I don't know that I can do this on my own. And, and the second statement, um, I wish I could just start over. You know what I mean? 
Like you're, you're in marriage and you've been going down this path and it's like, oh, I wish we could start over at the beginning. There's so much pain in these years of our lives. I wish we could just start over. Now, it's one thing to have that realization, that awakening. It's another thing to do the difficult work of getting up, repenting, and going home. Now, I know uh, oftentimes it's like we want to point at other people, but I want you just to think like internally where you are today. And it's these turning point moments that could change everything. Uh, three questions, and, um, and then we'll worship again together and kind of close. These are just good reflective questions that may help you on that, what, like that repentance journey, that what it means to, to repent. What do I think about that pulls me away from God? So this is about your thought life. What are the common things that fill your mind that could cause you to drift away from God? Now, that's a great question to wrestle with, isn't it? Like, what is it that's filling my mind? Or, here's another way to ask that, when I'm not engaged, like, in my work, where does my mind drift? Like, what, what, are, the, what are the daydreams that fill my mind? What do I think about when I have some downtime? And, and is, is that pulling me away from God? Second question is more about what you, what you do. It's about your actions. What do I indulge in that could be distracting me from God? Like, what is it that I, that I just continue to indulge in? And I know, I, I know it's not healthy. I, I know that it doesn't, it doesn't help me in this relationship over here. What do you indulge in that just distracts you from God? And then this other one, this one's a difficult one. What do I avoid? Because some of us are avoiders. We're like, I don't do anything, but we avoid something. And when we avoid certain things, we, we, we aren't drawn closer to God. Now, let me, let me remind us, this isn't about some sort of legalism and coming up with do's and don'ts. You know what I mean? It's not about coming up with all these like rules to follow. Jesus said, I have come that you might have, what's that word we said earlier? Life. This is about finding life, like, like a deeper kind of life, not the chronological life. Like this is about finding life and joy. And maybe these questions could help us on that journey back to God. Okay, I, I told you every week I'd give you a prayer. So last week, this was our prayer. Uh, our, our, our prayer began with, God, if you are close, make yourself known to me and help me come to my senses. And if you haven't come to your senses yet, then keep praying this one. Just, just stay with it. Now, don't tell your spouse that they need to pray this, but anyway. Uh, so here's week two. This is a good prayer for us. And I'd encourage you just every day, God, if you are close, make yourself known to me and give me the courage to return to you. Give me the courage to return to you. It takes courage to return to God, to truly repent. There's this girl from Traverse City, Michigan, and uh, had a rough 
rough few teen years with her parents. Any parents been there? Some rough, rough years. She said, when, when I'm old enough, I'm out. And um, when she was old enough, she remembers saying, I hate you to her parents and slamming the door behind her. And she ran to D- Detroit. In Detroit, she didn't have any money, uh, didn't know what she was going to do. She met a guy, seemed like a really nice guy, had a really nice car. He helped her kind of learn her way in Detroit, realized she could make a lot of money doing things that she never thought she would do, but it was a way to, to make money and, and survive. And so for years, realizing this wasn't really life, she just went along with it because it was what was there. And uh, she realized as she got older that her services didn't bring in as much money as they once did. And she had one of these moments, like rock bottom moments of, I wish I could just start over. She made a decision. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to Canada where I can start over. Nobody knows me. I just, I don't, this is not life, and I want to find life. I'm going to go to Canada. So she gets up, and she decides, like, the bus route traveled through Traverse City, Michigan, on her way, and so she's, she decided, I'm just going to, I'm going to take a stab at this. I, I, I can never imagine myself doing this, but she called her parents to tell them that she was going to be coming through Traverse City, Michigan. And... Um, as she was on that bus, they didn't answer. She had to leave a message. So as she was on that bus, she just in her mind, playing all the things that could happen. Nobody's there. It's going to be midnight. No, nobody's there. Or my dad's going to be there like this, you know, just, just disappointed in me. Bus driver announced, 15 miles to Traverse City. Can you imagine like what she was feeling? The bus pulls up, that little stop in Traverse City, Michigan. She walks down the stairs not knowing what to expect. The place was full of her family. Cousins and aunts and uncles a sign that said, welcome home. Her dad, like, made his way through, enveloped her in his arms, and all he could say is, I love you. (laughs) That's a modern-day telling of the prodigal son, and it stirs us, doesn't it? That's what your father wants for you. He wants you to come home. He loves you. He has more life than you could ever imagine. He has more life than I could ever imagine. But we've got to take the step of repenting and coming back home. Would you stand and um, we're going to sing about the life that we have in Christ. And let's sing this morning. Can we sing? Can you sing this morning? Like, let's, let's sing. Let's worship together. 
And as we do this, you've got space. There's the cross here if you want to write something down. Maybe, maybe this is a moment of repentance for you that you want to actually write something, put it on the cross. There's the candles in the back of the room that represent uh, God's presence. Light always represents God's presence. So maybe light that candle and ask God to be with you. There's a prayer station at the far back of the room. There'll be some prayer partners there that are willing to pray for you. And then there's communion set up in different spaces. Just respond however God leads you to respond. Can you do that this morning? Let's worship our Heavenly Father together.